I'm sure you felt this way, and I have felt this so many times, that you think, you know, it can't get any worse. It can't get any darker. Yeah. It can't get any uglier. But I want people to understand that no matter how dark it is, no matter how ugly and stinky and smoky it is, that darkness can never, ever, ever overcome the light that's in your soul. I don't care how bad it is. Sooner or later, that light will prevail. It will, it will, it will. Yep. Just keep in the fight. Hi, everybody. This is Diane Gilman, formerly known as the Queen of Jeans on QBC HSM, but now the proud host of my own podcast, Too Young to Be Old. Have you ever met somebody and you instantly bonded with them? You simultaneously felt that they were the bravest, the most inspirational, the most maybe amazing person you ever met? Well, that is our guest today. I am so excited to introduce you to Terry Tucker. Now, Terry is a cancer warrior, a motivational speaker, the author of a very interesting Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. He has been everything. He has been a professional basketball player. He has been a police officer. He has been a marketing executive. And Terry, welcome to Too Young to Be Old. Well, Diane, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Oh my God, you are so incredible. Well, you know what? Terry and I instantly bonded because we have one thing in common. We both contracted cancer and have fought cancer. And I wanted to bring it up today because the American Cancer Society is asking a lot of us podcasters to do um, a whole announcement thing on Valentine's Day about getting tested. But to me, what's in the news lately is, I think you somehow think, Terry, oh, if you have all the money in the world and all the status in the world and all the protection, well, you can't get cancer, but you know, I'm shocked by the royal family and the fact that Fergie has two forms of cancer and one of them is a super aggressive form of melanoma. Um, Kate, I don't know, jury is still out, but that's a long stay in a hospital. And now King Charles, not wanting to talk about the kind of cancer, but having to announce he has cancer. And I know that once you've had cancer, it always is a bit of a cloud hanging over your head. But talk to me as a cancer survivor and a thriver and somebody who's maintaining their life. The latest headline on cancer was, we must stop seeing cancer as a a, a mortal disease. We've got to start seeing it as an everyday life maintainable disease. Let's say the way diabetes is, where yes, you have to take drugs. You have to maintain at a certain level. Talk to me about that because I know that is your life right now. It, it, it is. And you know, when I was diagnosed back in 2012, I have a, a rare form of melanoma that appeared on the bottom of my foot. I was told that 
if I was lucky and received a miracle, I would live five years, but more than likely I'd be dead in two years. Regardless, I was told that I would have to live the rest of my life with at least a chronic disease, yeah. maybe a terminal disease, but certainly a chronic disease. And I think that's what you're talking about. We've come so far. Here I am 12 years later, still alive on a clinical trial drug that does nothing really to the cancer other than remove the protein or the enzyme that the cancer secretes to hide itself from my immune system. Uh -huh. so that My own immune system, just like a, a cold virus or a flu virus, can look at that and say, hey, that doesn't belong here. We need to attack it. And so that's where we've come in 12 years. And the fact that I am still here is an absolute miracle. But we know what causes cancer. We know we need to eat better. We know we need to get more rest. We know we need to reduce stress. We know the things we need to do. And the second thing I'll say about it is, is when we get something, then we go into panic mode. We're, we're afraid. I need to, I, I don't want to go to the doctor. What if it's cancer? If it's cancer, you need to get it early. We know well, that. That's me. I was the one who said, no, no, no. I don't want to think about it. It's calcium deposits. It's something else. It has to do with old age. No, no, no. And so by the time I got there, it was stage three. But I will never forget what, and the surgeon is now the head of all cancer surgery at Mount Sinai, Dr. Lisport. what she said to me. She said, okay, there's only two ways this can go. Either you're curable, and we'll know that through chemotherapy and uh, and surgery, or if it has metastasized, you are maintainable for years. So nobody ever within that system of care read me a death sentence, but you know as well as me to the outside world the minute you mention cancer to them. To almost anybody, you can just read it across their face. It's, oh, he's going to die. Oh, she's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. That, to me, is also one of the most difficult things. Well, you are such a survivor, and I want to know, does do your survival mechanisms tie into your 10 principles to leading your uncommon an extraordinary life. I, I think they do. I, I mean, I've certainly learned a lot in my life from, you know, being a division one college basketball player to a, a SWAT negotiator to what I've learned over these Whoa. last, you yeah. know, I, yeah, I, I've done a lot of things. That just means I'm old. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, so much of our life is played out between our ears and it, it, it really is, you know, and, and how we think, what we think, there's that old saying that says, you know, we become what we think. And that's absolutely true. And as I mentioned, I played basketball and, and the analogy that I like to use is that if I went, if I took a basketball and I went out on the court and I started to practice free throws, there would be a certain area, if we could look at it under an MRI, that would light up in my brain as I was doing that. Now, the interesting thing is, if I thought about taking that basketball, going out on that court, and shooting those free throws, 
that exact same area of my brain would light up. So whether I do it physically or whether I think about doing it, you're going to engage your brain. So I'm always very cautious of what I say to myself. I mean, I'm going to admit it. I talk to myself. We all talk to ourselves. But you need that positive self-talk because your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain doesn't, oh, I was just joking. It doesn't know that. You need to give your brain good, I guess, food just the same way you give your body good food. And so it's that constant reinforcement of good things that are going to happen. I can handle this. And I'll say this to, to end this. You know, I've seen so many people on my cancer journey that have turned over their lives to a doctor, you know, somebody in a white coat with a bunch of initials after their name. I've never done that. I've always wanted my life to be shaped by the decisions that I made, not by the ones that I didn't or that somebody else made for me. So I ask a lot of questions. I educate myself. I want my doctor to explain to me in English, not medicalese, why we want to do this and what we're expecting the outcome to be. And if you can do that, more than likely, I'm willing to go along with you. But if I don't understand this, it's very hard for me to get engaged in some type of a treatment for my cancer. You know, I never knew I could say no until I was in a waiting room one day and it was an all-female group of doctors and nurses and patients, breast cancer. And, um, One of the other patients was talking and said, I told my doctor no. And I'm thinking to myself, you did? Well, she told her doctor no? It never even occurred to me. And so the next time the oncologist wanted to do some unrelated, very painful, arduous test that truly wasn't necessary, but I felt generated money for a hospital system. I said no, and shock of all shocks, you know, but really and truthfully, it works in life too. You should be comfortable with where you're at. So I want to know, and I'm sure the audience does too, what are these 10 principles? How did you come about them? And what are they going to mean for all of us? And I think a lot of us are are a little bit frustrated with our lives right now and wondering how to reactivate ourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, the the principles in the book, this book really was kind of born out of two conversations that I had. I, 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 at one point in my life, was a high school basketball coach. and, And the first conversation had to do with a player who had moved to the area in Colorado where my wife and I live with her fiance. And the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. And Diane, she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I had to say to her, I have no idea what your purpose is. Yeah, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me on social media from college. And he said, you know, what do you think are the most important things I should learn not to just be successful in my job or in business, 
but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give them the get up early, work hard, help up. I didn't want to give them sort of the cliches that we all know. I wanted to see if I could go deeper with them. So I spent some time taking some notes and kind of had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to them. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So I had my leg amputated as a result of my cancer in 2020. And literally during the months I was healing after that, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence, the 10 principles to leading your uncommon an extraordinary life came to be. And I can go over the principles if you'd like. I would love that. Yeah. So principle number one, and, and I mean, like, these are not, don't, don't expect these to be like some kind of out there. They're pretty, I'm a pretty down earth kind of guy. So, <laughs> so principle number one, enjoy your life. Principle number two, and this is one that really resonates with me and I'm almost ashamed to say it, it resonates with me because I've done it probably more times than I care to admit in my life. And it's this, most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've done that plenty of times in my, my life. Number three, you were born to live an uncommon and extraordinary life. Number four, always remain curious and ask questions. Number five, you are the person you're looking to become. Number six, put your God and your family before everything else. Number seven, be part of something that's bigger than yourself. Oh, yeah. Number eight, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, especially in today's society, fail often, especially when you're young. Number nine, listen more than you talk. And number 10, love is the most important word in any language. Yeah, and, and I think um, that includes self-love. In other oh, words, absolutely. to me, I, I felt that going through cancer and, you know, every time I mention going through breast cancer, someone goes, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, wrong. Don't be sorry. Within our lifetimes, and, and we are living so much longer, and I, I have to say, you're going to get some form of chronic disease. That's all there is to it. And you're going to maintain yourself. And don't be sorry. Just learn to not let it overtake you. That was one big point to me with cancer was, um, this is not going to be the rest of my life. This is not going to be my entire life. This is going to be just, if there's a video screen up with a hundred photos, it's going to be one or two photos out of that video screen. Um, and interestingly enough, Terry, even as a, a child of about five years old, I remember my mantra as a kid was, I am going to lead an extraordinary life. I am going to use every minute and make it something fantastic. And um, even when I got my diagnosis, the first thing I did 12 hours later was call an uh, author friend of mine 
and say, do you want to write a book that chronicles my, and I don't even want to call it a fight, but my journey with breast cancer. I wanted to make it useful to others. I wanted to make it important. I wanted to make it mean something to me beyond just mortality. And so I'm going to ask you, do you ever waste a minute of the day feeling sorry for yourself? Because you don't look like the kind of guy that does that. I, I, I don't, you know, but it, it's so funny when I got cancer, you know, I, I've seen so many people in my life that, you know, they start down a road toward toward a goal or something that they want and they butt up against an impediment. Something gets in their way and they can't get over it, around it or through it. And so they quit and they give up. But we just don't quit. Now we got to blame somebody. You know, we got to blame our parents or our station in life or our boss. And so when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? I'm like, what, what do you mean? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People, who do you blame? I'm like, well, I don't I don't blame anybody. And and then when people find out I have a faith life, they're like, oh, well, you must blame God. And and I always used to joke with people. And I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to do list and said, hey, Terry Tucker cancer today. You know, I, I don't I don't believe that at all. But what I do believe is God has given me the strength. I mean, I when I was diagnosed, as I mentioned, I, there was no treatment for my melanoma, but they put me on a weekly injection of interferon, which basically gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. Uh, and it wasn't uh, and I really felt there were sort of two camps. There was, I was living. And then the other camp was, I was just not dying. And I felt I was in that not dying camp. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And it was like, okay, God, I'm not being productive. I'm not giving anything. I'm taking, just take me out of this. Now, don't get me wrong. I never thought about suicide, but I didn't feel I was contributing to life. Yeah. But God didn't do that. What God did for me was give me the strength. And I'll give you one more quick story. When I found out I had was going to have my leg amputated and I had these tumors in my lungs, which I, I still have, I remember about six months later, my oncologist showed me my CAT scan. Now, I have no medical background. I don't know how to read a CAT scan, but you can kind of look at it and be like, oh, oh boy, that sure doesn't look like it belongs yeah, there. Yeah, polka dots I didn't order those as a print on my tie. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I remember I had these big tumors in my lungs. I had fluid all around the pleural spaces. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how was I alive? And I'll never forget this, Diane. My oncologist put his head down. He shook his head no. And then he looked up at me and he said, I don't know because you shouldn't have been. Which said to me, God's not done with me yet. So when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about the dying. Spend more time worrying about the living part. That's all, that's all I can control. You know, um, I told this story before, so I'll tell it very briefly to you and the audience. When you talk about impediments and and barriers getting in the way, um, two things. One thing that really concerned me was. They say that you only survive if you have family support. And I had no family at all. And I felt pretty alone. And I had also gone through taking care of as primary caregiver for my husband, 
who had cancer and at the time he had it 30 years ago, they didn't know anything. I mean, that it was just not good. So um, I didn't have good references and they told me I was going to have to go into very strong chemotherapy. The night before, I had a talk with myself and I said, okay, this is it. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is we're we're on the march here and we cannot stop and you cannot even take one minute to feel sorry for yourself. Being scared is stupid. It's not going to do anything. And I went to sleep, which amazes me that I just was easily going to sleep, but it was so I was going to have a dream. And the dream was one of those dreams that's real. You know, it's it's from the spirit world. It's not just another dream. And the dream was driving down a wilderness road with no pavement, just big rocky road um, and no vegetation on either side. And I'm in my favorite old car that I had when I was 18, my VW Bug. And suddenly I hit a wall, a stone wall. And there's no way around it. But that wall is actually a vertical mountain that comes to a needle point at the top. I back up, rev the engine, try and get up. Only get up a couple of feet. Slide back down. Try again. Get up a couple of more feet. Slide back down. And then think to myself, okay, well, what would happen if you got to the top of the mountain and as sharp as a needle, your car's just going to tip over and crash? What are you doing? That's not the solution. I got out of the car, started growing, turned into a giant, and the mountain was just a sharp rock under my feet, and I easily stepped over it. And that summed up how I took on and dealt with and coped with what is really a huge challenge. Most of us take our lives for granted, but you cannot under these circumstances, and you're you're in charge of keeping yourself alive through attitude, and that was it, turned into a giant, and the mountain, insurmountable mountain, was just easy to step over. And I use that as a learning base for the rest of my life. That's a great story. I mean, it really is. And, you know, and I looked at it like this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck. Yeah. You know, I, I do not yeah. like the cards that I have been dealt, but I'm going to have to play these cards to the, my, the best of my ability. And there's, you know, my grandmother used to always say, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. And, I, and I've always remembered that during, the, you know, my cancer journey. I, my body is riddled with scars. And most people would look at it and say, it's pretty ugly. But you know what? I earned those scars. Every one of those scars put me through hell. And as Winston Churchill used to say, if you're going through hell, keep going. And I've done that. <laughs> and so I look at these scars as like, you know what? No, they're they're my badges. They're, they are things I am proud of. They may not look good to you, but by God, I'm here to tell you about them. So I'm absolutely proud of those scars. You know, I have a favorite saying also, and it's pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. And I think that before cancer, 
I was a diamond in the rough and I used to gravitate towards the negative all the time. And I lived a lot of my life in fear, fear of performance, fear of lack of acceptance, you name it. And, uh, after going through what I went through, which was two, two really intense years, although I had to work part of, uh, the second year, um, I was a different person. I, my, my focus was no longer on fear. It was on, uh, bravery and resilience and acceptance and empathy and compassion and realizing I was part of a gigantic community. But what made me so unique was the way I went through it. Never shed a tear, never wasted one minute on self-pity and almost instantly wanted to help other women around me who were going through the same thing. And that I can say is unique because for me, and I've only really had, you know, now I'm on my third career move as podcaster, but first of all, it was fashion, not a kind profession. I mean, full of competitive, uh, petty, nasty little feuds going all the time and one upsmanship. And then I was in television, which is, again, very judgmental industry. And both of them were so based on the physical and the physical appearance. And, you know, there you are with no hair and you you have no place to hide, right? I used to hide behind my makeup and my hair all the time. And um, I'll tell you what, you either have, you just have two choices, Terry. You're either going to find the light like you have within any situation that's threatening and daunting, or you're going to succumb to the darkness. And, you know, I think, I don't think there's much in between, but honestly, I think going for the light, it you feel how much better it makes you feel every single minute that you consciously do that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I know... You, and I'm sure you felt this way, and I have felt this so many times that you think, you know, it can't get any worse. It can't get any darker. Yeah. It can't get any uglier. But I want people to understand that no matter how dark it is, no matter how ugly and stinky and smoky it is, that darkness can never, ever, ever overcome the light that's in your soul. I don't care how bad it is. Sooner or later, that light will prevail. It will, it will, it will yep. just keep in the fight. That is so true. And, and you know, I feel even a little just notch differently. There can be no light without darkness. You've got to have the contrast. And when I came out of it, um, the one thing I cannot tolerate is people around me saying, oh, life sucks. No, life is precious. Life is a gift. And for those of us who have had any kind of condition or whatever luck or lack of luck you think you have in life, you know what? You make your own light. And that should give you comfort that you can do it. I just did, I did such a conscious 
complete rewind on my life. You know, I used to, um, for my television shows, I was terrified of every one of them. Nobody knew it, but I had intense stage fright. And before a show, like the day before, night before a show, I would curl up in bed and I would be like, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, it's going to be terrible. You can't afford to do that. I mean, those are all just silly vanities, you know? And, and so the truth was, I recognized I was going to have to not only craft my better self, but then be my better self and be my better self forever. And through the worst of times, I came to the best of times, which is now. I know my purpose for this chapter in my life. I am so inspired. I get to meet people like you. And I'm just telling anybody out there, if you feel you have come up against a brick wall, you have got to buy Terry Tucker's book, which is 10 Principles, Sustainable Excellence. These principles, they're just key. And I like having it printed on paper where I can go back to it again and again. Because sometimes you just have a stupid day, you just have a bad day, and you lose your way. But, um, you know, we don't like to talk about cancer. And yeah, it's a bummer. I get it. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer. But guess what, people? It is the majority of us, at least half of us, if not more, are going to experience this during our lifetime. Better to be armed with the knowledge and the points of view from warriors like Terry and myself, how to get through it and how to get through it and come out the other end, a shinier, brighter, more, honestly, more functional person, right? Well, I don't know, sir. You look healthy. I got to say. Well, if and, I stood up, I'd fall over. So that, that, that wouldn't work. <laughs> well, actually, if I stood up, I'd probably fall over. But, um, you know, Terry, just in parting, what is your favorite principle? And what would you give advice to younger people? Because we see now that the huge spike in cancer rates, which is really frightening and shocking, is for people under 50, not those of us that are over, you know, it was always like, well, dear, you know, it's kind of an old lady's disease because you blah, 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 and you're already almost 78 and you don't have an immune system. No, no, this is about lifestyle. So what advice can you give that you think is universal to any age about facing one of the ultimate barriers, which is being diagnosed with a mortality-based disease and condition. Yeah, I, I guess I can answer that by telling you this story, and it's a true story. Back in the 1950s, there was a professor at Johns Hopkins University who did a very simple experiment with rats. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water 
that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the average rat could tread water. And initially, the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as those rats were getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he took those exact same rats and put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, on average, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. The first time, 15 minutes. It's not like you're going to flunk a test or your business is going to go under. You're going to die. Your life's going to be over. And the second time around, 60 hours, which taught me two things. And I think this is something your audience can take away from this. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. That if we know we're doing the right thing, maybe not today, maybe not this month, maybe not even this year, but at some point in time, if you're doing the right things, you will more than likely get to where you want to be. And the second thing it taught me was just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. We give up. We quit. We give in long before our bodies do. So that goes back to callousing our minds, being tough. Every day of your life, do one thing. Do something uncomfortable. Do something that makes you nervous. Do something that's embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But if you do those little things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and you know this, Diane, they hit all of us. We lose somebody who's close to us. We get let go from our job. We find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness. You'll be so much more resilient to handle that pain when it presents itself. Yeah. And, you know, I honestly call that living with intention. You must make your decisions about how much does life mean to you? How precious is it? What do you want to do if you really get the option to go on? Do you want to keep up your life the way it was? I did not. I I waited till the dust settled and then I made huge changes, walked away from a 50-year career in fashion, walked away from 30 years on television. But I knew it wasn't feeding my soul, and I knew that my soul was going to be the mechanism within me that inspired me to go on living. So, you know, it's living with intention is all about knowing your purpose in life, knowing your goals at any age, and and being willing to make the compromises that allow you to live your very best and most extraordinary life, which is what your book, Sustainable Excellence, is about. Terry, it is such a privilege and a pleasure to have a shining light like you on our podcast. I thank you so, so much. Well, Diane, thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed talking with you today. That's great. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, Leave us a rating or a review and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.